This podcast is for thinkers and problem solvers. I'm here with Jay Simpson, who is a trustee and the house manager of Jam Yang Leeds Buddhist Centre. And you've been practising Buddhism for over 20 years, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, I first came into Buddhism in 2001, formally, as part of Jamyang Buddhist Centre Leeds, just attending as a student when it was in the premises at Hare Hills. Before then, I kind of knew I was a Buddhist, or that I should be on the Buddhist path, but never knew how to actually find a legitimate place to practice, how to study what even that meant as uh, as a learning exercise is it just something that i would just learn and understand or was it more of a a life experience but fortunately when i moved to leeds i struck gold and started getting involved at jamming leeds you've got quite an interesting story of how you were drawn to buddhism if you'd be kind enough to share that, it'd be an interesting place to start. Yes, certainly. So um, I've mentioned uh, that I'm from Grimsby originally, from a council estate that has been wiped off the face of the earth now, because it was quite rough and uh, <laughs> quite poor. And while we played in the backfields, I found two books that had kind of squiggly writing in, and I th- didn't know what they were. I must have been about eight or nine at the time. And I thought I'd keep these for when I was older um, so that I could then find out what the writing said. And they turned out to be Tibetan manuscripts on the Medicine Buddha and also the Diamond Cutter Sutra, both of which are key elements in my daily practice now. Um, but it wasn't until 20 years later that I actually rediscovered the books as I'd travelled quite a lot and kind of everything clicked into place for me. But I'd also been taking a partner at the time uh, when I was in my 20s to a meditation session and I had heard that it was a Buddhist meditation and I had no interest at all in yeah. joining the class. I thought Buddhists sat in caves. Uh, switching themselves off from reality and navel gazing, but how wrong I was! You got dragged, you got dragged along. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. so I sat at the back of the class, and that evening um, I dreamt about a monk teaching me how to read this very long, thin book. And I asked the monk in the dream what he was doing. And there was a picture of a spaceman, a picture of a heart, a lotus flower, and a Buddha. And I asked him what these symbols meant. And he says, oh, well, it's quite simple. An extraordinary being using love and compassion will attain wisdom and therefore enlightenment. And I just thought, how unusual. This isn't something that's normally in my daily experience. And... I asked the monk, so can I ask what your name is and where you are? Um, I recognised that there were stone walls and iron railings, and it kind of made me think of Yorkshire and the countryside, because obviously Grimsby's in Lincolnshire. 
And the monk said, oh, my name's Chen Rezig. And that uh, this book is the Lotus Sutra. And I says, oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> End of my dream. And then I went to the meditation session again a week later. And I was sat at the back of the class and I heard the monk say the Lotus Sutra. I thought, oh, he must have said it last week and made me think of a dream. So I asked the monk if um, he knew what the Lotus Sutra was and what, what it was about. And he said it's about how to gain enlightenment through love and compassion and wisdom. I thought, oh, okay, and who wrote this then? And he says, oh, it's um, written by a Buddha, the patron Buddha of Tibet, Chen Rezig. And that made me think, mm, okay. <laughs> I said, did you discuss this last week at the class? He says, no, no, it's a new topic for this evening. So I thought, okay, that's a bit freaky. I'll leave that part there. And then the following week, I took my partner again to the meditation class. And then that night, I had another dream. Um, and this time I was on a wet, rainy island in Scotland, which I'd never, ever been to before. I'd never left Grimsby. And a procession of monks came around the corner carrying this high llama. And then the llama was lowered down to the sand and he walked across the sand without getting his feet mucky. He was just kind of levitating above. And I thought, oh, this man's a bit special. I'll have to ask him who he is. But before I could, he said to me, do you know who you are? And I says, well, yes, I'm Jay. And he says, no, do you know who you actually are? So I just said, no, I don't understand. He says, come and find me. I said, okay, who are you? And he says, oh, my name's Lami Eshi. And you'll find me on Holy Island in Scotland. And I thought, oh, <laughs> okay. But I, from the dream, I remember the two monks' faces at the front of the procession. So then I woke up, thought it was just another dream. I went back to the meditation class. Have you heard of this gentleman? No, never heard of him. I said, oh, okay, it was must have been just a made-up dream. But because I was working from home as a shiatsu practitioner at the time, most people would give me a call, ask if they could book a treatment for a bad back or limb injury. Um, but this particular day, I got a knock on my front door. And as I opened the door, I recognised the face from the dream wow. of the first monk on the left. And I was so shocked, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. So I asked him who he was and what he wanted and he said he'd like to have a shiatsu treatment he'd he'd heard about me but his problem was that he was um he had anger issues right. and wanted shiatsu to help with them so i said it's not normally the kind of thing i would do but nice. certainly come in we could see if we can get you to be relaxed etc um and then the following day there was another knock on my front door and as i opened I recognise a face immediately as being the second monk that was in the front of the procession in the dream. And he'd heard about me, wanted to come and have a treatment, but his problem was that he was afraid of dying. And I just said, <laughs> well, this is definitely not something that I treat with Shiatsu. <laughs> but again, if you want to come in and talk and have a conversation, you know, 
So then that evening, my partner got back from work and I explained that these two people had been and they were from this dream that I'd experienced. He says, oh, it's just make-believe, it's fantasy. I said, oh, okay, I'm just going to make you your tea. And I came back into the room and the TV was behind me and suddenly I heard this voice on the TV and instantly I knew it was Lama Yeshi. Um, so I turned around and lo and behold on the screen was Lama Yeshi being filmed in the exact spot my dream was and across the bottom came up the words Lama Yeshi, Holy Island in Scotland. Wow. So yeah. I was completely blown away. So I knew there was meant to be some kind of connection with Buddhism, although I don't know what or mm. why. Mm. Um, so I said to my partner at the time, if this is meant to be anything and it's not just fanciful thinking, I'll be able to speak to this gentleman in the next five minutes, knowing full well I wouldn't <laughs> be able to. Yeah. So <laughs> I could put it to bed. Yeah. So I decided to ring 192 for directory inquiries, yeah. which existed back in the day. <laughs> And asked them if they knew of a Tibetan that lived in Scotland or a Tibetan <laughs> society. Yeah. And they said, oh, yes, um, we'll put you through now. I said, oh, oh OK. Yeah. And they put me through to the Tibet Society in the UK. And I said, oh, I am. I, and I said that I had a very strange dream about this Lama Yeshi in Scotland. Sorry to be up, bother you. I'm just trying to find out if I can get hold of him. And then next thing, oh, yes, he's got a monastery up at... Um, called Sammy Ling. I'll just put you through. I says, oh, okay. <laughs> so they put me through to Sammy Ling Monastery up in Scotland near Estilmuir. And then a nun picked the phone up and I said, oh, hello, sorry to bother you. My name is Jay. I've had this very odd dream. I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've had a dream about Lama Yeshi and he wanted me to get hold of him. And she says, oh, one moment. And then a voice came on the phone and said, hello, Lama Yeshu speaking. And it was within the five minutes that I set myself. <laughs> wow. So I explained the situation and the dream. And he said to me, if I ever came up to Scotland, he'd love to meet me, that this was normal for him. And that he would show me around and talk to me a little more about Buddhism. And it took me three years to get to meet him and that was it i was firmly on the path to being buddhist and just looking for somewhere to find to practice uh after a visit of um, a few days i explained i lived just outside yorkshire at the time and they said well if you go to leeds there's a jamyang buddhist center who will be able to put you on the path and the moment I walked in the door, instantly yeah. I was on the path, met my teacher the first day, and yeah, now I'm helping build its future for yeah. generations to come. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's Quite been incredible. a bit of a journey, to say yeah. the least. And um, so how do you make sense of it all? I believe in Buddhism there's a lot um, to do with the connectiveness of everything. Yes, um, in Buddhist um, philosophy and thought, everything is interconnected, nothing is independent. And coming from a council estate that uh, 
the people who lived there didn't have any particular faith, um, was day-to-day -day living and very limited in its viewpoints of the outside world, um, it was completely different and a bit of a culture shock for me. So you'd seen the TV films like The Golden Child and all this sort of thing, thinking it's how fanciful this is and how unreal. But actually, on hindsight, I can see that all these events that happened in my life have all lined up perfectly to get me to where I am right now. Even the jobs that I've done, completely random, unrelated uh, jobs in various places have all given me the key skills needed to do exactly what I'm doing now wow. to establish Jamyang for the future. So I'm very, very, very skeptical. I'm very down to earth, but most Tibetan Buddhists are, which is, yeah, another grounding effect for me. Oh. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. They always said I should write a book. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the role of mindfulness in Buddhism, Yeah, how it fits in, some of the approaches perhaps. Okay. So what I have learned as I've gone along the path is that I wanted to find individuals that actually walk the talk. So I wanted to sit and observe monks and nuns that are supposedly happy to see what they do so I could do exactly the same as them to get to where they're at. And no matter what the Buddhist tradition, whether it's Indian, Chinese, Japanese, Sri Lankan, Tibetan, they all have the key element of meditation in the practice. And from observation, those who practice meditation on a daily basis achieve a much more greater sense of calm and peace and also clarity of mind and more open awareness and can gain realisations along the path a lot easier. So as I've studied over the years, mindfulness is actually a part of the Buddhist meditation. And also the mindfulness movement that's developed over the past 10, 15, 20 years actually came out of Buddhism with Kabat-Zinn. Originally, mindfulness was connected with the base element of compassion because you can mindfully pick up a chair, mindfully bang somebody over the head with a chair, <laughs> mindfully put it down and mindfully walk away. Yeah. There's no benefit. Mm. But if you act with compassion as its basis, then you're more likely to achieve the result that you're looking for. So meditation really is the key element, and mindfulness is part of the Buddhist practice of meditation. So when you're trying to develop concentration, you need to have a second uh, cognitive function called mindfulness that will observe whether your mind has slipped off your object of meditation, whether it's a sound, a smell, a taste, a feeling, an understanding of something from analytical meditation. 
So mindfulness also can be simply observing whether or not your mind has slipped from the breath, observing it, or it can be that mind that observes when you're in your day-to-day life, whether you've broken your vows or close to breaking your vows, or whether you're uh, taking ethical actions of body, speech, and mind. So it's quite a wide, expansive mindset, but it's only one aspect. But the West has clicked onto the mindfulness movement and kind of wrapped it all together into one thing. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a little bit mistaken, but the new compassionate movement that's now arising is going to work in conjunction with the mindfulness movement. So hopefully it will bring them back together again so people get the full benefit. It seems like there's the mindfulness um, on, its, on its own can be just used as this little tool. That it's, yeah. it's supposedly used for, to get rid of some stress or to make the mind go blank is what it's sort of often marketed as or yes. the belief is. Definitely. And, and that compassion part, I definitely for myself, as soon as I sort of understood the sort of compassion element and that relationship with yourself and your thoughts, yeah. it really unlocked it for me. Totally. I was, I was meditating, trying to be mindful, but um, and just being annoyed at myself. <laughs> yeah. You could be mindful that you're angry and yeah. mindfully you're getting more angry because you're mindful that you're yeah. angry. Yeah. So it's a never-defeating loop. Mm. Whereas if you're basing the mindfulness on compassion, you can start to let things go. Mm. And to be kind, mm. not just to yourself, but to others. Yeah. And also the compassion then develops into great compassion. So then you're there to then help other people achieve the same. It's, it's quite scary at first, the amount of frustration that I was noticing. Yeah, and I think yeah. a lot of people hold this. <laughs> and even with themselves just trying to sit still, or they're quite annoyed at themselves. And, totally. and it's quite a lot to take on at first. You kind of. Yeah, you grip, you grip really hard at stuff with the mind. And, yeah, day to day we constantly think everything is fixed and solid and definite and real and exists out there. But as you start to practice mindfulness and then it develops into an understanding of kindness and compassion and then into meditation, then you're able to challenge your own thoughts, yeah. feelings, etc. Yeah. in a kind, positive way. And then you start to see reality in a whole new light. Um, but also, when individuals either try to use to practice meditation in a daily life or mindfulness, 99% of people say, oh, I can't do it. My head's too full of rubbish, blah, mm. blah, 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 blah. Mm. But that's great that they see that because it's mm. the first time that they see it. It's happening all the time, but you just don't look at it. So when you first start to meditate or practice mindfulness, it's shown in all its glory, and you either run or you sit with it. And if you're acting with kindness again on it for yourself, you'll sit with it and just observe it, and then it'll start to slow down. Then it'll start to be more subtle. Then you start to realise that it's not fixed and solid, mm. then you start to realise you can change it. Then you feel empowered. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tell people when I teach, teaching them mindfulness, one thing I say is it's not the thoughts. They didn't take you out, out of the mindfulness, out of the meditation. 
people have a thought and get annoyed or get go along with the thoughts but they can be a way back in that way you treat them or treat yourself for going with thoughts it's a way in every time it's like a micro compassion each time for yourself definitely Uh, definitely even acknowledging the fact that you've had a horrible day you feel rubbish it's too intense for you to sit with at the minute even that act of kindness releases the solidity and tension of that thought or feeling and that's being mindful Mm. But it can be so hard to do that first step. It's like, I feel like the resistance comes to like that questioning your own reality. It's easier to dig in and to think it's fixed. It feels a bit easier, but it's not really once you get past it. No, that's true. I mean, the first time I tried to meditate was in a church hall in Leeds. And I went with a friend at the time. And I thought I need to be sat all quiet, cross-legged. and focusing on the breath, and I just burst out belly laughing, absolutely horrendously laughing out loud. And I just thought, I just need to go because this is embarrassing for me, plus the teacher. And I thought, this is just a load of rubbish. I need to go. And now (laughs) I teach meditation and I meditate every single day. Yeah. It just shows that the initial reaction is your mind just thinking, what's going on here? Please don't make me do something I've not done before again. But giving yourself time and space and being practical and pragmatic, you're not going to become enlightened instantly on your first go. Expect to fall over. (laughs) No. Yeah, uh, my first sort of entry into meditation that worked was transcendental meditation, actually. I tried other ways and just found it really hard, but the actively saying your mantra was easier than sitting in silence. But after a while, I stopped because um, in a way, I was using it to overwrite the thought. So I'd have a thought and come back to the mantra. And that's what kind of what the point is, I believe. It's... Um, you settle on one thing and then the mind settles more and more and settles and settles and settles. And then it's very nice, (laughs) blissful often. Um, (laughs) But that was my way in to see, it showed me that what could be there when the mind calmed down, but I don't use it anymore. I use a sort of more grounding, coming back into the body type mindfulness, concentrating on the breath or the the feelings in the body. Um, But it was, it really helped me for a way in actually. That's amazing. That's good. Everybody is so different, and there are so many different techniques out there. For example, Tai Chi, that's pure movement and meditation in motion. So that's great for somebody who is very physical. And also yoga as well, that's an introduction. Um, There's also walking meditation, but then there's also visualization. When a child is has his or her face in an ice cream as when they've just got it from the ice cream van, they are completely and utterly absorbed in its taste, its texture, its flavor, how much happiness it brings. The outside world doesn't exist at that very moment. And lots of us do this on a day-to-day basis. So it's knowing what works for you as an individual, 
some people like to listen to sounds. Uh, some people like to do something physical. Some people like to visualize. Some people like to recite mantra or uh, affirmations. But they are all introductions to letting go of the outside world, bringing the mind inwards, mm. not just into the body, mm. but actually observing your own mind. And that's what we're not used to doing in the West at all. And that's what feels very alien and that we don't know whether we're doing it right or not because mm. it's not in our culture. Mm. And if I mention to my parents or my family that i'm off to sit and meditate or do prayers they just go well that's a bit weird um are you in a cult (laughs) (laughs) but after years and years and years of seeing me practice they now ask me how do i calm down in this situation how do i keep a peaceful mind during this so just by leading by example Mm. others can benefit as well yeah yeah um, a lot of what I sort of tell people about mindfulness is it's not just about the meditation practice. It's like in all life, be compassionate and aware as much as you can be. Yeah. Um, and that's a big part of Buddhism, isn't it? The... It is, yes. Um, a lot of people think that if you just sit and meditate, that will sort everything out. And it doesn't at all. Not in the slightest. Meditation is really the preparation or all of your other activities with your body and your speech and also how you think. And if you try to meditate on an evening, for example, you've got all the day's problems, worries, concerns, strong emotions that you need to settle and filter out before you start to settle the mind. But if you actually start the meditation in the morning, your mind is more pliable and soft Mm. and it's not full of the day's activities. So you can set your motivation. You can say that through the day you want to be more kind or do the right thing when someone's annoyed at you or that you'll not react to negative situations. And you can then soak your mind in kindness, patience, love, all the other virtuous qualities. And then that, in itself will affect the rest of your day so that's how your meditation in the morning will have a positive effect going forward it's not there to sort out past experiences no it can be helpful mm. but it's more about dealing with the present mm. going forward yeah and you will start to notice habits and patterns as mm. you try to practice. Mm. And that's when you can start to realize that it's got a beginning, a middle and an end, mm. and that you're able to ch- transform the negative into positive. Mm. Nice. Well, that's a good place to end, I think. Cool. Um, unless there's any, any way you'd want to point anyone to, any books that might, people might like, or anything they can do to... Get them on the path of mindfulness or compassion. Yeah. Well, I think if you're wanting to go down the path of mindfulness, always remember, base it on compassion for yourself and for others. Uh, never do any action 
without the thought of, is it helpful to me and others? That way you can't go wrong. Mm. Um, for meditation and a little bit more about what compassion is and its definition and mindfulness and the cognitive functions and some examples. Um, how to meditate by Kathleen McDonald is my go-to resource. I'm not a, I'm not a great reader. But that particular book has got tabs all the way down. Feeling depressed, use that one. Wanting to be calm and peaceful, do that meditation. Wanting to remember that things aren't fixed and solid, use that meditation. And also the background information of why it's useful. Absolutely perfect read. Uh, great. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes. Cool. And, and a link to the Jamyang Buddhist Centre. If anyone wants yeah, to feels the draw to that, that'd be great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was really you. kind. Oh, it's been really good. Thanks, Jay. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. And if you found it interesting, please do share. And if you'd like to know more about my hypnotherapy, problem-solving, coaching or mindfulness teaching, please visit chris-walton.com.